Okay, very good day to all of you listeners out there. Welcome to another episode of Simon Says and we have Lyra here today. Hello. You know, Lyra, we have been doing quite a bit of coverage on state election, right? And I think we kind of have enough of state election for now. <laughs> for now, yes. Yeah, and I think if we come back a few weeks later and see some of the results and manifestations of the decision of the voters, then we have more substantial things to cover. But today we want to talk about some of our favorite things, right? You know, every time we have an opportunity, we do want to talk about the political governmental development in the United States. And, you know, I, I think we, we do quite a bit of those content here. And I think for a few reasons. Uh, and one of it, I think, is we don't see a lot of people doing coverage on American politics. And there seems to be some misunderstanding about what's happening, uh, lack of general awareness about what the whole MAGA, American First movement, and why there's such a contention, why there's such a polarization. Would you agree with that, Lyra? Yeah, I mean, totally, 100%. Because oh, when I just listen to even Kaluaska Jab podcast, mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen many, many politicians who came on board on Kaluaska Jab podcast, mm-hmm. and they seem to have despite them being politician, yep. having that sort of um, affluence over political mountain. So it, it just seems weird that they don't really understand so well about other countries. So I think what we are trying to bring here is really we're trying to see a model of, because we have been talking about a lot of cultural wars here, mm-hmm. the populist versus the establishment. And we also have very similar things that is happening on our home ground as well. Yep. So, But what we see the most is really in the United States. So you begin to see why these politicians, they are they are maybe perhaps thinking that Trump is a bit bizarre, a bit, <laughs> a bit crazy. But that's also one of the topics that we want to talk today. It, it's just interesting, I mean, just to see how the mainstream media is affecting how we are thinking here in Malaysia. Absolutely. And I think you, you, you get it exactly right. The, the mainstream media is really forming the way many people see the narrative. And, and I guess even in Malaysia, uh, you know, today, for example, if you want to hear about, you know, political development in US, uh, you, you look at CNN, CNBC, maybe you go for Washington Post, New York Times, the, the elite but you you know if you've been following our show you you know you know from time to time we'll make reference to those uh, news. In, in fact, Trump used to call them the fake news, and and the the reason is because the the position held by them has been so skewed and so biased. And we're going to talk about one of the event that just took place yesterday. If former President Trump is convicted in a court of law, would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would. Just hold on. So just be clear, Governor Christie, you were kind of late to the game there, but no, you ran- I'm doing this. And I know this. you didn't. Whoa, whoa. Look, here's the here's the bottom line. Someone's got to stop normalizing this conduct. Okay? Now now, whether or not, whether or not you believe that the criminal charges are right or wrong, the conduct is beneath the office of President of the United States. We have to look at the fact that 
three quarters of Americans don't want a rematch between Trump and Biden. And we have to face the fact that Trump is the most disliked politician in America. We can't win a general election that way. Here's the thing. This the election <laughs> is not about January 6th of 2021. It's about January 20th of 2025, when the next president is going to take office. Look, Joe Biden has weakened this country at home and abroad. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. We don't need to bring in people without experience. Mr. Ramaswamy, you would not support an increase of funding to Ukraine? I would not. And I think that this is disastrous that we are protecting against an invasion across somebody else's border when we should use those same military resources to prevent across the invasion of our own southern border here in the United States. That. I'm glad you brought you that up. I'm going to address each of those right now. This is the false lies of a professional politician. There you have it. So you the reality make America is, less safe. You have no foreign me, policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? The, the foreign policy experience that you all have shows in the pointless wars we've gotten into. Let us be honest as Republicans. I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for, so I can say this. The climate change oh, agenda whoa, 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 whoa. is a hoax. Well, hold on. I've had enough. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. The last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said, what's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here was Barack Obama. And I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur standing on stage tonight. This is exactly why Margaret Thatcher said, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. Lyra, maybe just, just uh, I think we both can share one point why we are kind of uh, captivated by the political development in United States and and maybe why you think it is important for us here in Malaysia? Well, I think back in 2016, I think that's when I really started taking an interest in the United States politics. It's really because there's one common misconception about United States because there has been that talk about securing your borders mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. is so famously put forward by President Trump. And then you begin to think, eh, hello, I mean, United States is a country of immigrants. What, what do you talk about borders? And then we begin to see what is happening in Malaysia as well. Mm -hmm. That we also have a lot of um, politicians that are claiming that some of the races here, they are immigrants, that mm -hmm. you are Pandatan, yep. that you don't belong here. So I, I felt like because of that, that sort of caught my interest. And that really caused me to begin to think, why, why do we need to secure about, I mean, be so concerned about borders on its own. So that really, that was one of the main reasons because I felt like there's a lot of similarity between United States and Malaysia than we like to think. And there's also a lot of different races that they can live harmoniously. So that's why I, I felt like it's very, very relevant that we should talk about United States politics and we compare and see what are the lessons that we can bring forward to Malaysia here. That's very interesting. And in fact, we're going to talk about borders as one of the policy that was discussed in the event yesterday. Now, for myself, really, you know, being a practitioner, practicing lawyer for, for more than 15 years, the rule of law is really important to me personally. And, you know, we, we follow the British systems and they are really one of the first nations where the parliament began to restrict the monarch. 
But what I really like about the American system is that when they declare independence, and then, of course, it was not a perfect nation. They had to go through many, many rounds, you know, with all the, the racial tension, with civil war, great war, etc., etc. But they did, in my opinion, progress further in, in this rule of law, in a sense that there is a greater sense of decentralization, there is greater uh, accountability, and there's greater freedom. Now, of course, we're seeing all these things being attacked and being destroyed. The whole, the whole foundation of the legal constitution that is based on Christian, Judea, Judeo kind of influence. So those are the things that is happening right now. And I, I think there are certain lessons that that can be learned from, from America. And especially, I think, when we look at the federal and state uh, harmony and dynamics. So that's just my, my personal view and why we continue to have this topic from time to time, right, on this show. Yes. All right, so let's talk about yesterday event, right? So, uh, I, I mean, we're just going to jump straight on it. Yesterday was, of course, the Republican Party nominee, presidential uh, nominee, uh, first debate. So you know the system, right? To, to become a candidate, you have to be the candidate from the party, right? Yes, most definitely. I mean, you definitely have to be the one leading the poll and be the most favoured to win the presidency. And they go through many, many rounds of voting by all the caucus, caucuses, things like that. But this is the first debate before a single vote has been cast. Now, what's so special about this event? Well, traditionally, you should have all the candidates debating on the platform. So in this case, it's on the Fox News. But there is one key primary <laughs> candidate that is visibly absent from this whole debate, and that is none other than President Trump himself. So it's so bizarre because <laughs> the news is saying that he is running a counterproductive um basically a show that goes against the mainstream media because even now, he ever since the departure of Tucker Carlson from Fox News, the, the views have been declining. And it's so interesting because you now you have President Trump who has been basically interviewed by Tucker Carlson himself mm -hmm. on X, also formerly known as Twitter. So it's interesting because when you see the number of views that they garner within the first three hours, it's just... Mind-blowing. Now, just a bit of background to our viewers and listeners. The, leading up to the event, uh, President Trump sort of hinted that, well, I may come, I may not come, and things like that. And he, he did kind of give some general uh, reasons, you know, I, I'm, so, I'm way ahead of the poll and things like that. And, and then the venue is not fair, the moderator is not fair, and all those were proven by yesterday's event. We're going to talk about the, uh, some of the things that happened. But really, at the end of the day, it, it, it's really you have the president, uh, you know, former President Trump, who represents the MAGA movement. MAGA, of course, it means made America great again. And, you know, for, for the sake of clarity, we can just call it the America first policy. Yep. And we have seen example of this in our nation. Also, Sarah first, for example, it is the thing that is most obvious comes to my mind. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, the similarity and differences. And... With, with this event, it, I think the line between MAGA, you see MAGA is really the populist, the, the public are stirred 
by a certain things, a certain dissatisfaction. And interestingly, we talk about populist movements in the last state election, right? I mean, Kedah with Sanusi really kind of demonstrated that. And, you know, we, we kind of discussed many, many rounds, even in our re- preview and then our, our conclusions of the election. We both do not agree that there is a green wave if we define green wave as a youth Islamic driven wave. But rather, there is a populist movement driven by some kind of dissatisfaction, and that is still being unwrapped. So, so it's the same thing that over since 2016, President Trump reshaped the whole Republican Party. And right now, at this debate, I think the contrast between populists and the establishment have never been clearer. Don't you agree? Yeah, I mean, most definitely. I mean, you also begin to see that because of the views that is being garnered, just a staggering 90 million views within the first three hours. That's really, <laughs> I mean, hats off to President Trump and even Tucker Carlson as well. So, I mean, the, the news is that President Trump won this evening's Republican <laughs> debate in a dominating fashion. Talk about being dominating without you being on the stage. Yeah, it's interesting that we were just trying to find out the figures for the Fox event, right? And we couldn't find the event and we couldn't find the numbers or, or the poll. I, I think it must be way, way below the 90 plus millions. And by the way, you, you know, Tucker and President Trump, uh, you know, the, the 90 million view, it was not even live. It was pre-recorded. So it's like a pre-recorded event, Trump over a live event and Fox is not releasing any data. I mean, I think that, that only tells you what you need to know, right? Yeah, but it's also very interesting because um, some of those conservative popular figures like his press secretary, former mm-hmm. press secretary, Kylie McEnany. Mm. So she was saying that poss- possibly Trump make a very devastating sort of a move by not appearing here <laughs> on the debate. So then you begin to think, hey, actually, who's for him and who is against him? So it's very, very interesting, I think. This whole thing really just shows that, like what you say earlier on, it draws the line between those who are for for the establishment and those who are really for the populist movement. Mm. And I, I think it's the, the nature of the presentation. And w- if we look back at... And it all started, I, I mean, before Trump in 2016, then we had Brexit, right, a year before. And we had, to, we had to go back. You know, whenever you have a group of people wanting to do something that the establishment, the elite, the globalists do, are not agreeable with, then they will use the full force of the media, the full force of the mainstream media, and, and later on, of course, big tech to kind of come down on, on them. So that's why you, you, you have to, we, we had to see why the populist movement are taking such a, 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 an aggressive posture because they have been... You know, they have been wounded, they have been harassed and lied upon, etc., etc. That's why it is not surprising at all that when you have these big events of debate, 90 plus million people decided to watch something else. (laughs) Which to me is just really, really unbelievable. I I mean, you you talk about Kaylee McEnany just being one example. Of course, she she is an employee of Fox. I mean, she has a duty to support her employer. But it's like 
I, I, I think her comment just sort of smashed back into her face right now, right? In the in in face. Now, by the way, uh, if we want to talk about American first, of course, there are some uh, media you have to go to. There are many, many conservatives now, but of course, one of the biggest will be Breitbart, right? Yes. And Breitbart just kind of did, and they kind of put a note there, this is not a scientific poll, okay? And the question, very simple. Who won the first GOP, GOP is Republican debate for the, for the Republican nominee for president? So all the people there, all the people were there, including Trump who were not there and they put there Donald Trump even though he wasn't there and he got close to 60%. And some of the people like Chris Christie, like Nikki Haley, like uh, Mike Pence, they got zero. So it's like, I mean, I just... And one of the things, of course, now now we're going to talk about the debate itself and maybe a little bit about uh, Trump's interview. But one of the first things he mentioned in his interview with Tucker was that he said, look, uh, I, he, he, in fact, tomorrow he, he's going to, uh, not tomorrow, I think tomorrow he's going to, to surrender to the Georgia Authority because he has been indicted. And he said, look, every time you have someone, a uh, public person who is being indicted, and that person will come out with a press conference and say, well, whatever I'm doing right now, I have to stop doing now because I have to focus on surviving this uh, legal battle. So goodbye for now. And they will kind of go into obscurity. And I think that's what the establishment are hoping, right? That Trump will just give up. But he kind of doubled down and the poll went out. In fact, he is 50 to 70 points, percentage point ahead in the primary race, depending on which poll you use. And, and he made a very interesting statement. Uh, Lyra, I'm not sure if you, if you saw that. And he said, look, we have to give credit to the voters. They are not stupid. Yep. They know exactly what's happening. And I felt like that statement, you know, when he said it gave him the strength to continue on. It's like, even though you all try to blindside everyone, but the voters are not blindsided by you. Yeah, I mean, that is exactly the question that was being posed by Tucker Carlson to President Trump because he was just asking, look, I mean, you have been having all this impeachment, trials after trials, and you have four indictments lining up. And why do you still seem to be so cheerful? And he really credited it to the voters because he felt like, because the base really understood him well, and then there is a lot of, they, they are not stupid. I mean, they are not blinded by all this things that have been pushed forward by the mainstream media and then which he famously quoted them as fake news and now he called <laughs> them corrupted news corrupted news yeah <laughs> yes, I, I was thinking right. about that term suddenly yeah. kind of <laughs> it's really just yeah, it's like I mean kind of prophetic of him because he he's someone who comes from the TV that TV personality and he was able to just like point it out to the mainstream media and say look you guys are fake news you guys are not reporting the things that you're supposed to be reporting. And then he then credited it to the, to the people, the, the Americans, because his policy has always been about American first. And these are the Americans that really just mm. gave him that supercharge because they, he felt like his voice has been heard. His voice has been echoed. So I think that's really the model that we want to see in our Malaysian leader as well. Yep. I mean, despite the persecution, there's still that drive for you to continue on. And you're not just going into their own cave because of like maybe something that they did wrong. Yeah, that kind of reminds me, you know, remember when we did the reporting with David Tian, right? And he said, look, the moment Sanusi was charged in the court and he came back, the effect that one week, and it, it's like he was already a very popular populist, but that, uh, that 
I mean, we don't use indictment here. He was actually charged in the court, right? And that kind of supercharged the campaign in Kedah for the rest of the week. So talking about the reverse effect, right? Yep. Now let's talk about the debate itself because, um, I mean, of course, many of the candidates seem to be establishment. And I think one of the one of the things that really captured my mind when was the moderator asking them about, you know, any any of you were stopped uh, supporting uh, funding Ukraine. And now, 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 for those of you who are not aware of the dynamics in America, basically it's like this, you know, when, when they do the polling with all the uh, potential voters from the Republican camp, more than 80% say they do not want further funding to Ukraine. This is public poll. And the reason is because the economy is crap and they want the government to focus on the nation, hence American first. So when the moderator asked the question, only Vivek Ramaswamy said he would stop the funding and everyone else not. And you know, in America, we have this category of uh, conservative, we call them the neoconservative or neocon. And, and these are really, you know, from George Bush senior uh, down the line. And, and these are people they label themselves as conservative, but then in reality, they, they are very, very much into war with ma many nations and they want the, the war and weapons complex to be the, one of the key industries in the United States. So those are basically the neocon. And you can see who are the neocon there, right? The Chris Christie and, and Haley, of course, uh, Mike Pence, and even Ron DeSantis, you know, starting off as a MAGA kind of person, I mean... Lara, what's your take on Ron DeSantis? What happened to Ron? I don't know. I mean, look at his his donor base. You, I mean, just by looking at the money that you you are receiving, I think that really is something that you could begin to see that there are signs that shows that he's actually more establishment than we thought. Because earlier on, I mean, I was just reading out news and things like that. I thought, hey, this guy is doing very well as a governor in Florida. And yet, how come his polls just keep dipping and dipping and dipping as weeks goes by. And especially the more that he tried to just go after President Trump and the more his polls just went down. And then I began to just really look into some other news and then mm. you begin to see that, oh, because of the establishment, he's actually more pro... Re really, I mean, he, he doesn't have a clear stand on stopping the war against... I mean, basically just stop funding the war, period. Because even like Trump, he was just coming out and saying that Look, no one should be supporting this war. I mean, he, he could end it in a day and then... I mean, of course, there were a lot of criticism that says, look, a day has gone by, you have not stopped the war. But the thing is, you have to be a president to be able to stop the war. Mm -hmm. But he is not willing to make that kind of stance. And instead, he's just really going after cultural issues. Like what we mentioned, I think, in a couple of episodes ago, that we just say that, look, cultural war is almost like the fundamental of a presidential candidate. And that's pretty much like all that he could talk about. Yep, that, yep. That's, that's the kind of feeling that I get. I mean, even Vivek Warramasawami was like leading. I mean, he did very poorly, I think in week one. Then he began to think that, oh, okay, if I continue to just go against Trump, I won't be able to like really grabbing hold of the mm -hmm. base from President Trump because you, you are really literally fighting with... The, the most popular figure yep. and you're trying to get the vote over. I mean, it's kind of like what we have here in, in Malaysia with Muda Party. I mean, they could have just easily rolled the wave mm. and then they, they if they would have just rolled the wave and say that we are going to fight alongside 
Pakatang Harapan, I'm sure that they won't tank in the last state election. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's because you, you go against them. Now, one of the Ron DeSantis um, highlight, okay, if I can use, <laughs> and it, it's when the moderator Brett Bayer asked all the uh, potential candidates, you all signed a pledge to support the eventual Republican nominee. If former President Trump is convicted in a court of law, would you still support him as your party's choice? And of course, Ramaswamy was the first to do it and eventually uh, most of them did that except for, uh, I think two person didn't do it. Uh, who was it? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, oh, well, former Arkansas. Hutchinson, yeah. yeah. Hutchinson, Governor Hutchinson didn't do it. But then what really what was the highlight was uh, Ron DeSantis was looking around, you know, and, and, and kind of what, what sees around. And, you know, he has been called an opportunist before. And, and I think people remember this sort of gesture. And... I don't know. In long run, maybe it will hurt him because he looks like he is a kind of person that rides on a wave without a strong personal conviction. I, I know it's not fair to judge a person from one event, but people remember this kind of detail. Yeah, the thing about him is he, he felt like a hypocrite, mm. if I may use the word, because, I mean, he, he was going really after Trump especially on the COVID lockdown policy. And he was just boasting about how Florida was flourishing even during the lockdown era. And actually, people forgotten that lockdown also happened in Florida. Mm -hmm. And he, he was also reluctant until such a time that actually President Trump said, open up the economy, open up the economy. And, and he just basically conveniently took credit for all the things that was because the mentor told him to do so. Now, going back to uh, Trump's interview with Tucker, now, maybe you can tell, let, let the viewers and listeners know, what did he say is going, is going to be the primary issue? It's interesting because he said at the end of the day, it's really still about the borders. Mm -hmm. It's really about the illegal immigrants that came into the country in swamps and he's going to find a way to just bye-bye, send you off because... You're not supposed to be here. I mean, because at the end of the day, you, you begin to think, I mean, even with all this election fraud, with all this indictment that is happening, a, a lot of people probably in the same sanity, they will just go after, let's change the law about mm. this, that. And yet, he's not really after that. At the end of the day, his heart is really still for American first. Yep. And then he began to say that, look, we really need to guard our borders well. We really need to guard that boundaries well and secure the border. We'll stop. And, and we're just talking before the recording, right, that having a border, you know, of course, physical border is, is the first step. Then, you, of course, you have other kind of border, um, trade border, etc., etc. But having a border of some sort is really the foundation to self-determination. And I mean, take Sarawak, for example. I mean, look at Sarawak. They have one of the most stringent immigration policy uh, within Malaysia, you know, for the longest time. I mean, we're both Sarawakian, but people who are not from Sarawak, they had to use passport to come to Malaysia for the longest time. And I think it's only the last 20 years you can use IC. You can't buy some of the property quite easily. You can't have a full-time job in Sarawak easily unless it's government job or unless you have some kind of special waiver and things like that. So it is literally, yes, you have the physical border. I mean, West Malaysia is separated from Sarawak by a sea, you can only come in through the airline. So it's already very, very secure from that point of view. Of course, you, you know, the, the Indonesian from Kalimantan can still come anytime, but that's a different story. 
But then you actually have the, the trade and professional border also. And, and I would argue that is the basis why there is such a strong uh, sense of self-determination. And it's the same, right? I mean, of course, we talk about uh, earlier on, you, you mentioned you, you, why you, you get into the American politics. is because when he wanted to build the war, so many people were triggered in Malaysia. And I remember they were very well-known uh, politicians in Malaysia. And I, I remember seeing a comment, right? And, and somebody was just talking to the politician and say, well, do you want people come into your house, climb over your walls and set up a tent outside your door? And I, I know it sounds absurd, right? It sounds so ridiculous, but that is exactly what's happening. And, and Trump was just saying the month before, I think it's July, he said the illegal migrants that came to 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 United States, they are one hundred. They are from one hundred forty nine nations. It's like you have United Nations there, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like places people never even heard about. That's very very true. I mean, and, and, and so look, you know. There are people who want open borders. I, I mean, it, it's like we know, for example, George Soros is all about open borders and the globalists want open border. We, we kind of, I mean, this is a huge topic for another time, but basically why open borders is because when you have open borders, you have cheap labor and these people can come in, they can work for the big company, they can work for the big tech and you can just allow the whole middle class to die and they don't care because at the end, end of the day, the, the big corporation, they are not concerned about the prosperity of the country. They are just concerned about their bottom line. And if we cannot operate in the United States anymore, we can go to Ireland, we can go to Panama, Cayman Island, whatever. See, see this is the whole thing about uh, the globalists and the American first. And I, I would say this, you know, and because later we want to kind, kind of come back and talk about Malaysia first, right? It, it's really, at the end of the day, it's not like we are against you know, globalization. You're not against globalization, right? Are you? No, I mean, we are all about free market, to be honest. I mean, I think that's where people really begin to confuse about mm. globalism and free market policy. It's totally separate matter. Yep. You can have capitalism, you, you thrive on capitalism, and yet the way that you're executing this whole thing, it doesn't have to align with the globalist agenda whereby you begin to just sell your country for the greater good. For who's good? I mean, it's really for the elite's good. Yeah, you, you can't compromise the people. You can't take away our right and freedom to pursue happiness. I, I think that's really the bottom line. And when we, again, we look at some of the populist women in Malaysia, the, the anger uh, that people in, in Kedah, Kelantan, Trengganu, and, and even maybe Selangor and other places are feeling, is really we are losing the opportunity to have, to pursue happiness. And that is one of the reasons I think during Mahathir's time, even though he did so many bad things, uh, destroying the courts and things like that, but because overall it was a period of prosperity and great growth, people kind of overlooked his deficiency. I now, mean, the same goes to Najib era as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for, for better or for the worse, if you create a sufficiently comfortable uh, economic opportunity for people to pursue happiness, people will be more likely to turn a blind eye on, on some of the structural issue. I mean, not that we condone all those. No, no. It's just a reality of society and, and things like that. So so we, we, we look at some of the globalist things and, you know, so many people have kind of told me, you know, Tesla is coming already and, you know, now the AP has been waived. 
200,000, such a great deal. It's like, I, I asked him, excuse me, do you have 200,000 that you can just throw it for whatever thing you want to do now? So, so it's like, when I think about things like ESG, it's all being pushed. Now, you see, whether the ESG is good or not, you know, in terms of the really, really, you know, good for the, for the environment, environment or not, I, I think the jury is still out there. Like, we're not getting there. But let's just talk about the cost, right? And, you know, can we even afford to do that? Can, can you get, can, you, can the SME, SMI afford to implement ESG policy when they don't even have enough to, to, to kind of support the foundation or the economy? And, and that, that's really the, the big issue here, right? And, and we know at the end of the day, it's not about environment. Why? Because, you know, the Paris Accord or whatever things that they are planning, China, India are exempted. It's like the biggest polluter are exempted. So it's not about environment at all. So I think these are the issues that people really have to understand that, yes, there are things initiated by powers and people greater than our nation. We are not in control. But at the same time, you can't just come into our, our door and, and tell us what to do. And this is, you know, going back again to Trump and he, he, just, he just couldn't accept that the globalists wants an open border and, and, you know, so many illegals can actually have college education all the way. I mean, you think about it at the end of the day, that's like a very high level fraud, don't you think? Totally. So, I mean, there are so many things we can talk about. Uh, maybe we, we need another episode. But I, I kind of want to finish off by talking about, you know, we, we talk about America first, but what about Malaysia first? Uh, you, you know, do you think it's something, because the last few episodes, especially the state elections one, we, we kept talking about what divides us. You, you know, we kept talking about, right, what divides us. And then, of course, we have two parts. Uh, on affirmative actions. And, and I, I do realize, you know, I was just talking to Lanshi uh, the other day, uh, just this morning. And in fact, we, we said, look, uh, we understand where Anwar Ibrahim is coming from. You can't just take affirmative action out now. You can't. It, I, I think it will create such a big, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like, or, or, or you know, like student loan. You, you can't just suddenly force all the students to pay. I, I think you will create such a backlash because so many people owe the government money and they can't pay. <laughs> so, so, in fact, we're talking with your sister also, right? And because she, I think she had one of those loans, right? Yeah. And, and then, then she said, oh yeah, you know, the employee can deduct, but it's all on voluntary basis. You know, government say, you, you want to deduct, can. Well, who will do that, right? Who will say, oh, I, I earn 5,000 today, uh, you can take 10% of my salary. Who will do that? Nobody will do that. But coming back to Malaysia first, what, what do you think? Is you know, okay, first, okay, maybe two questions. Okay, I always end with two questions for you. Right? So first thing is, um, if we mention first Malaysia, how how would you see, you know, in your view, uh, what is it like? And number two is, can it be done, actually? Well, I think, honestly, it, it definitely can be done. I mean, you have seen it in the other countries and you begin to also see what we were discussing just now. I mean, even with what is happening in Thailand. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you have this wave of populists. I mean, even what is happening in Italy as well. That yep. really people wanting their rights to be secured first. So I felt like that could be done. I mean, even with the things early on with Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim that got into such a hot issue because of the way that he was answering the student. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end, they, when you dissect what the student was asking, it's really, what is it? 
what is it in it for me in yep. Malaysia? So I felt like there could be a way to do it. And I actually felt like it's interesting that you were talking about the student loans, uh, repayment and things like that. So one of the things that the initiative that has been taken by Yayasan Sarawak recently mm-hmm. is if you have paid out to 30% of your student loan, then Sarawak government is going to pay a portion for it. And I felt like it's an open opportunity to everyone. Mm. And that shows that you have accountability, you have responsibility that you actually voluntarily wanted to pay your, your debt first. And then you also have the government that is coming in to fund a portion of it. But it's not to say that you are waiving all the things altogether. Mm. So I felt like there is a model, there's something that we could really glean from this whole incident and this whole initiative that is taken by Sarawak. And it really shows that I mean, Yayasan Sarawak, obviously, it's just just the Sarawakians that are eligible. Mm-hmm. And yet, you, you show a model that you are presenting Sarawakian first. So, if we applied it on a bigger scale, like in Malaysia, for instance, you could have a Malaysian first sort of policy, but you also have to have that sort of initiative, that sort of um, environment that caused people to want to like grow towards really just being self-determined mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So, if the people could contribute this. I think the government should show double the amount of effort yep. to really show that, look, if you are serious, we are double serious than yep. you. So I, I felt like that is a model that we could really begin to aspire mm. towards. So that that's really what I envisage the whole Malaysian first is going to be like. Yeah, and I think another misunderstanding uh, about American first especially is they, they look at it from, you know, because here a lot of people are aware of the trade war, for example. Uh, but every time you see President Trump talk about uh, his relationship with President Xi Jinping, it, it was always framed in a very positive way. You know, he was like, look, I, I want to do a deal with him. You know, China is a great nation. You know, he's very respectful uh, of them, even though the rhetoric and things like that come out. And I think when people kind of, because those are the, the big headline kind of news, and, and people are like, oh, so is America into protectionism now? And I think there there is a difference there. You know, when we talk about any country first, we are talking about we we are developing our people. But at the same time, we are not closing out the market. We are not uh, kind of giving ourselves some special advantage so that you can't come in. You see, in fact, I I mean, this is my my own observation only. In fact, the only country who really exercise a major protectionism market is China. And why China could do that? Because their domestic market is enough to support them. So they don't really need uh, anything from other countries. In fact, this is one of the sole points from the Western, especially America, which a lot of people don't understand. It's like, they're they're just like, oh, you don't want to buy things from China. It's not that. It's like Trump was saying, look, you want to sell us everything. Why can't we sell you our things? China said, oh, no need, no need. You, you don't need. I don't need to buy from you because my market is enough already. But you see, this is, you know, to, to a businessman, this is perceived as not fair. So that's why coming back again to Malaysia first, I, I totally agree with you that all, all the things that can be done, like what you, you talk about, Yayasan Sawa, I, I think that kind of remind me of during lockdown, we had the wage subsidy, right? If you don't let go of some stuff, the, the government will pay three months, six months, and just kind of, let them continue for, for a few months and maybe the business will pick out and nobody will, will lose their job, you know? So if you do certain things that helped development, helped the value to go out, I, I think that's great. But 
it won't be good if you close out the border, you don't allow trade to come in, you, 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 know, you don't allow competition and things like that. And then I think that's the negative side of any nation-first policy. And, and so that will be something that we'll have to weigh carefully. And of course, we have seen, uh, you know, Sabah Sarawak have that kind of tendency. But of course, Sabah is a totally different story. Right? I mean, they have the, they have all the rights from MACC3, but Sabah, would you agree, is like an open border kind of oh, nation. That That is even, I think, I think the border... North, really South, need. West, East, they're, they're yeah. invaded. And, but Sabah is, is a better example, you know, the, uh, I think the, the establishment of border, especially professional migration, uh, trade, resources, travel border, I think they really did well. But in a way, there is a little bit of protectionism there, you know, in Sarawak. I guess, you know, their argument, like give you an example, like lawyers, for example, you, you can't really practice in Sarawak if you are qualified in West Malaysia. And I, I can understand it because it's such a small market. If you allow the big boys to come, come in, maybe that's game over. So need some sort of balancing, I guess. Well, I guess because it's really, really a fine line. Mm-hmm. I mean, like what President Trump did, I think with the economy, with the tariff as well, it, it's really amazing, to be honest. Because what he did was basically, he just basically imposed tariff on the other country. Because if you want to come in, you want to have your goods sent in here to make it, you, if you say that your good is as good as the, the ones that is American-made, then surely you can you can withstand the competition. Mm-hmm. So what he did was basically just make the playing field level. That's all. Yep. I mean, that's what he did. And I felt like in terms of what is in Malaysia, we could really also have that sort of similar economic policy as well, that you don't disseminate your own, your own economy. But at the same time, you also have like friendly relationship with other countries, but in such a way that doesn't, cost your nation mm. like really something that we can't afford to have and, and what you say just kind of reminded me again you know in recent time of course a lot of discussion on uh, food security food crisis and malaysia once upon a time even now to, to many of, of the less advanced agricultural nation especially in africa and things like that that is malaysia is considered like one of those nations that is well-versed in many agricultural technique, you know. But this looks like something, looks like a jewel that we sort of have forfeited, you know. Just let it go. And I think this is the time, you know, I, I don't know if Prime Minister Anwar will do that because we have, we have all the resources, we have all the know-how, we still have a generation of farmers. You know, I, I was just reading, um, I, in fact, I met someone, you know, a, a farmer, not not really farmer I mean he owns a farm and, and they produce like four ton four to five ton of tomato you know per week you know and then he was just saying that you do know that the the flowers in Camerons are now are now considered number one or number two in the world you know Amazing. and it's exported to Japan we're we just behind Netherlands he said I was like oh I didn't even know that and he said it's because it, agriculture is just kind of Nobody wants to highlight it. Everyone wants to talk about stamps. Everyone wants to do trading. Everyone wants to do whatever, whatever. But these are the kind of things that will really help us to have uh, self-determination and help us to have to be able to self-sustain, you know. And I, I think Malaysia being a small nation, yes, we depend on import and things like that. But we had to do our level best to ensure that our own people can be as self-sustaining as possible. 
Yeah, I mean, perhaps Malaysia could be the breadbasket of Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, people talk about Indonesia with our land and things like that. But what, 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 what about what about, the, what about Borneo Island, right? I mean, the whole place could be like a agricultural paradise. Totally. But anyway, I think it's been a very interesting discussion. And kind of moving forward, we want to talk more about self-determination, decentralization, and going to look at different, different topics, you know, cultural, you know, how, how do you protect your own cultural purity? How do you, how do you have financial independence? So we're going to have some topics that are maybe a little bit not quite directly related to um, the political governmental realm, from time to time, of course, not all the time, because this is still a show that focuses more on politics and things like that. But if you have anything that you, you, you've, uh, you know, we have some really interesting questions about affirmative action, maybe we'll try to, uh, which was just uploaded a few days ago. So we will try to answer those. But if you have any other topic that you feel like, hey, maybe we can discuss about it, or, or you know, we can get certain guests to come and things like that, do let us know, you know, in a comment, or you can just email us and... Lyra, I think we'll be glad to to have those, right? Yeah, most definitely. All right, I think our time is out already. So until next time. Yeah.